You mean I get to use this pulpit the first time? Oh my. Hey, I like this. It's short. Yeah, you can see me. I've been to some churches, they got those big wood elaborate things and you're, you have to step out to one side so they can even see you. Thank you. What an honor it is on a day as special as this is to be asked to bring the word to you. Pastor, we love you and we support you. Amen. So thankful to God for you. My verse, Pastor, to ask, you know, this is part of the series of Too Much Junk in the Trunk. And so the title of my message is Lay Aside, I've Got Some Echo. Maybe if you can back monitors out or something. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. The verse from that is Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise. Lord, we pray that You open the Word to us. Holy Spirit, we don't want to just be stirred. We want to be changed. Thank You, God, for all that You do. Thank You for this church. Thank You for our pastors. And Lord, let us serve them faithfully as we serve You faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this verse, it said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, Pastor Steve, this is your fault. You put a car on the screen last week. I love racing. So as a few minutes of introduction to lay a foundation, I grew up in a racing family. This is my dad. I didn't know that Dottie... When she was here, her husband raced at Sunshine Speedway probably at the same time my dad did. And this is not just a trophy girl, that's my sister. My dad won a race and they were going to present him. They said, we have a trophy girl. And he said, no thanks, I have my own trophy girl. And so my sister presented the trophy to him. Well, after he had won a season championship, we had turned 12. And did you know that on a racetrack, you can drive at 13? I'm getting all kinds of feedback. And um, so he quit so that we wouldn't get involved. And yet my cousins drove at 13 years old to Sunshine Speedway in St. Pete. So my dad had had trophies all over the house. And it was like, I always had, you know, you kind of wish you had a trophy of your own. Well, in 1972, and this is the only picture that I had, I had a 69 Roadrunner, one of the all-time muscle cars, and I took it back to Sunshine Speedway and ran the ET classes of drag racing. And my first and only trip there won B Division and Top Eliminator brought home a trophy and 40 bucks. Thank you, Jesus. And I was so proud to come home and say, Dad, look, I got a Sunshine Speedway trophy. It is, I still have it. It is in my office at home. Thank you, God. One of the all-time heights of someone who has that kind of desire is to really drive something awesome. I am in that car. That was my son's car, a 2012 Centennial Edition of the Corvette Z06. 
pushing over 600 horsepower. And one time when we were in Charlotte, we saw a commercial on TV. And it was Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, which is coming up. Well, Lowe's Motor Speedway has it that if you'll make a $25 donation to their children's charity, you get three laps around the track in your car. And it was like, Kurt, I am feeling really generous about now. I am one of only two people that was allowed to drive his vehicle. This is Lowe's Motor Speedway. And I rode with him for his three laps and tried to film it. And yes, if you can read that speedometer, it's running up close to 130. And it was like I actually panned out a little early. We actually hit about 135 down the back stretch. I have never had that much horsepower under my right foot. So people online, I, I apologize because online it can't stream through about 10 seconds. Here it will show. Turn the volume up. I want to show you what it sounds and feels like to accelerate down that backstretch running from 85 to 135. Let's try this. Oh, hold on. Hold on. It started. My son went up to the bleachers and he said, Mom, what do you think? She said, it's kind of scary and loud. And he posed this question to her. She said, he said, are you more concerned about your husband or your son's car? She honestly said, I think I'm more concerned about your car. She really said that. Oh my. But this verse, that's car racing. Of course, that's how much money you can spend on a machine. And yet, individual racing comes down to your own control. Hebrews 12 said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I used to run a long time in the past, coaching soccer. I was in fairly good shape. My body now with 30 pounds extra, it's more conducive to midget mud wrestling, you know. And... Um, I thought, Pastor Eddie, we, didn't they used to have midget tossing? You and I could go on the road. And you could just throw me. And um, so I thought after 20 years, it was like I, 10 years ago, I turned 55, I'm 65 now, and I was just running fitness-wise. And it was like, you know what? I haven't been in a race. I'd never won any kind of awards, even though I'd run in the past. And so it was like, okay, there are actually races out there. Well, there's a 5K race. It's 3.1 miles. There's a 10K, 6.2. And so I thought, well, where is the local? I'm running three miles a day. Let me just look up something. Well, down at Lake McKeithen Park, it's on 41 South, halfway between Floral City and Brooksville. Well, they run around that lake. So I went down there and I entered. I'm in the age group 55 to 59. And so I entered that race, and I take off, and I have this guy running next to me. I'm positive he's not in my age group. 
This guy is, I'll call him, and no disrespect, gorilla man. He's got gray hair oozing out of his tank top, his chest, his sleeves. And I'm thinking, so during the race, he'd lead for a while, and then I'd lead for a while, and we'd get back and forth for the entire time, and we don't see anyone else around us. So I thought, well, there's no one else in my age group near me. So it's like, do you really have to gut it out to the end? So on the final turn, as it turns, and they, 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 what they do is they put up flags to run you down into a chute, single file, and then they hand you like a popsicle stick or something with your number on it, your placement, and then they can check the time and so forth. And I thought, he's not in my age group, so I'll just, and I followed him down the chute, and, you know, he finished in front of me there. Well, then they start giving out the awards and announcing the winners, and he won third place in the 55 to 59 age bracket. I lost that medal by six seconds. Six seconds, and I learned a life lesson. Here, of all the coaching that I did, of soccer and baseball and so forth, telling young athletes, don't ever concede. We use the term, leave it all on the field. If you get done and you can run circles around and celebrate, you didn't run hard enough. If you don't see the finish line, you ran too hard. <laughs> okay. You actually should see the line as you finish. And it was like I conceded to letting him go first. And it was like I didn't, had no idea he was in my age bracket. And I said, well, I'll never make that mistake again. Well, then two weeks later, we had right here in downtown Inverness the Beat the Sheriff race. It was another 5K. Do we have any runners in here? Raise your hand if you've ever run a 5K, 10K. Yes. Do we have any distance runners that's run a half marathon or marathon? Raise your hand. Awesome. My goodness. So I come up here and I said, well, I trained hard for that two weeks. And I learned another life lesson. I'm running through Inverness and I'm doing well. And I'm pushing it really hard. And I got to about two and a half miles of that three mile race. And I've got to just take a breather. And so I stopped and started walking fast right on Highland Boulevard. The last turn runs down south of Popka and finishes at the courthouse. And this young guy, forever grateful, in his 30s comes by me. Now, mind you, it took him two and a half miles to catch me. <laughs> and I'm 55. And as he comes by, he stops for a minute and he said, no, come on, come on, I'll run it with you. Finish strong. I'll run with you. Finish strong. I didn't know that Gorilla Man was behind me. Because <laughs> a lot of these runners go to keep, you see the same people at the same races. I must have been in his sights and I'll bet he thought, oh good, he's walking. I'm going to go running by him right before the finish line. And then we took off. He'd improved his time by 30 seconds in a three-mile race. That's a big improvement. I'd improved mine by a minute and 30 seconds and got my first medal of beat the sheriff race. Yes. At 55. Well, there's other races that get up and more in parallel to the Christian walk is endurance racing. Now see there, in those races, 5, 10K and so forth, 
you don't get anything for finishing the race. You have to place first, second, or third in your age bracket or overall. Other than that, the rest are running. And yet in an endurance race, marathon or half marathon, marathon's 26.2 miles, you actually have seven hours to complete the race. And if you simply cross the finish line in seven hours or less, you are an official finisher and you get a medal for that. You can compete in your age bracket if you want. You can compete overall if you want. But if you just finish, you're rewarded for that because it's an endurance race. And then a half marathon is 13.1 miles. You have three and a half hours. Well, I had been running and I thought, well, I need to up it a little bit. And so I entered into a 10K race up in Ocala. Didn't place, but it was a good, I ran that 6.2 miles in less than an hour. And I was happy with that. So I thought, you know what? And a lot of people have had that lifetime goal. Sometime in my life, I want to run a marathon. And so it was like, I need to start. So I downloaded online a beginner's training, <laughs> of course, amateur training for a marathon. And what they do is you start running like three miles a day, three, three, three. And then on the weekend, a distance day, like seven and then four, four, four and then nine and then five, five, five. And of course, the guy in his training, he says on your distance day, he said, run, walk, crawl or roll. Just cover the distance. Just cover the distance. So I had gotten up to running five, six miles a day and then was going to be running. That weekend, I was going to have to do 12 or 13 miles. And I said, if I'm going to run that far, I'm going to get a medal for it. So I looked online and there was the Daytona Half Marathon and Daytona Marathon. So I have officially raced at Daytona International Speedway. I went over there, and again, I didn't finish in my age bracket for any special awards, but I finished. There's my time. You can see it. Two hours and six minutes and 32 seconds. I ran nonstop at 55 years old for two hours. Thank you, Jesus. And because you're an official finisher, a really nice metal brass image of Daytona Speedway and I got my medal as an official finisher of the Daytona Half Marathon. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. There I am in victory lane. Lay aside every weight. Weight matters when you're competing. Did you know it comes down to a mathematical formula? If you, in fact, horsepower, horsepower is, it started with the ability or the work. Horsepower is defined as work over a certain rate of time. So if a single horse pulls 550 pounds a foot off the ground, that's one horsepower. They then did it to length of distance, 33,000 foot pounds. Those are scientific terms. It's basically of doing that over a one-minute period. And so it's like in energy consumption or burning calories, it's the same. Did you know it burns the same amount of calories to walk a mile as to run a mile? Now, that may surprise you, but as a health uh, uh, instructor and biology, it is you are carrying your body weight over a specific amount of distance. It burns the same amount of energy 
Now, running, you get more muscle impact and cardiovascular development. There's other benefits to running, but sheerly upon burning calories for fitness sake or dieting sake, it burns exactly the same amount of calories to walk a mile as to run a mile. Because if you run a mile, you're done sooner. If you walk, it covers more time. So see, it's exactly the same. That also means weight, laying aside every weight is important. Can you imagine a marathon runner? If you have one ounce in your pocket, like maybe too long of shoestrings and you've double knotted them and so forth, it really comes to play. One ounce carried over 26 miles is the same as carrying 100 pounds, 86 feet. 86 feet is from here to the doors and back. I was going to, Colin, where'd he go? I was going to bring a 100 pound, wait, oh, he's over there. I was going to have you come and carry that 100 pounds to the doors and back, but I didn't, okay. But it's burning the same amount of energy. Well, you certainly, certainly wouldn't, before you ran a marathon race, somehow work that day and burn up, you know, carrying 100 pounds for 86 feet. And it's yet runners, professional runners, when it comes to race day, man, sometimes they get out a pocket knife and trim excess rubber off their shoes. They don't need the structure now. It's race day. It's race day. Cut off those extra shoe length, the shoelaces. Don't do double knot. Do a single knot and cut the excess off. Every ounce makes a difference. Laying aside every weight makes a difference. Well, notice this scripture. Put off concerning these things. Anger, wrath. Talk about junk in the trunk. Some of the things we think are, well, they're not sin. But he said, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. There are things in our life that make it way too complicated. We're too busy. We don't have time for the Lord, church, our family, nothing. And it's like those aren't necessarily sin within themselves. But those are weights that are weighting you down and slowing you down. Get the junk out of the trunk. Get the junk out. So it said, put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. I hate cussing Christians. Oh, excuse my French. No, I'm not going to excuse it. And that has nothing to do with the French. Salt water and pure water can't come out of the same fountain, can it? Someone said if whatever comes out of you is when you find out, it's when you're squeezed. I'm still getting a lot of echo. Is that me? Is that the monitors? Can you just kill the monitors? I don't need them at all. Kill everything but my mind. And so it's like some of these things, like I said, they're not necessarily sin within themselves. But it's, and then he says, do not lie to one another. I think it's interesting. He's writing this letter to the Colossians and he's saying that there are obviously people in the church because he's writing to a church. He's writing to a church and says, you know, y'all need to quit that anger stuff and that wrath stuff and that malice stuff and that blasphemy stuff and that filthy language stuff and that lying stuff. Oh my goodness. We allow ourselves to be weighted down with things and then it's like, God, why can't I fly? Why can't I grow faster? Why? And it's like, we're carrying too much baggage. Way too much baggage. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And the sin. You know what? I just thought of something that could be the Bluetooth in my hand. Sometimes I have to turn that off. 
Lay aside every weight and the sin. See, we've always just said that was sin. It didn't have to be. There are things the Lord doesn't want you having in your life, complicating your life. Make life simpler. Simplify life. I had a guy tell me one time, I forever appreciated that. He said, Kenny, you know what your problem is? I said, well, I always wanted to know. I was, a, you know, I'm also bivocational. I'm a general contractor. And he said, you think you're in business to build houses. I said, okay, I'm listening. He said, no, you're in business to make a living. If you're not living, you're only working. Hmm. Us men, we have a problem. It's our best asset and our worst at the same time. We think that our number one role is provider for our family. Absolutely true. But not to the point that you neglect the family you're trying to provide for. We call us workaholics. I'm a doer. There's no question about it. I'm a doer. I'd rather be doing something than watching. I go out to a job. I, I don't work. The crews that are there, I'll grab a shovel and start working with them. So I'd rather work than stand here and watch. But it's like, so it's, also, it's great to be productive. It's great to be successful. But not at the expense of your family, your church, the Lord. I had a guy one time call me up. He wanted to build a house in Black Diamond. And he said, well, can we meet on Sunday? And I said, no. That's my church day and my family day. Oh, well, well, you might be giving up a large custom home. And I said, why can't we meet on Saturday? Oh, well, I have a tea time. Okay, let me get this straight. You won't give up a round of golf that you can reschedule, but you want me to give up my church time and family time? No, it's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. Oh, well, I guess I could play golf on Sunday. Okay, fine, I'll meet you on Saturday. But see, sometimes we sell our soul to the workplace. And that's not the point. I have never met a man. I'm batting a thousand. I have never met a man that said, if I had to do it over again, I'd work harder. Every single one says, if I had to do it over again, I'd have spent more time with my family and with my kids and doing things that are really important like serving the Lord, going on a mission trip, helping the poor, serving in a soup kitchen, doing something that means something, for goodness sake. Let us lay aside every weight, every weight. Here's some encouragement. The proverb says, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth spiritual death. Lay it aside. We don't... I mentioned once before in a message, I heard a pastor say, the body of Christ is already educated beyond the level of obedience. We already know more than we're willing to live by. Why do we need more, more services, more teaching, more tapes, more books? We won't even do what we know. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. And then we come in, oh, pastor, it's so hard. I can... Well, how are you doing in your devotion life? Well, I've been so discouraged, I haven't read my Bible. Okay. How about your prayer life? Well, you know, I'm really busy and I work three jobs and, and I do go fishing a lot and I play golf a lot. And I, oh, but I just don't have time for it. And you expect to have victory in your life. You're leaving out the wrong things. Help us. 
Help us, Lord Jesus. For all that is in the world, 1 John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. There's the unholy trinity right there. It always comes down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And the eyes can be, you, should be, you might be looking at something that you ain't supposed to be looking at. Or it might be you have desire for things that you, you don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I've met some very on the surface wealthy people. Of course, I said building you know, custom homes. I built nine in Black Diamond Ranch. I've met some people that had a whole bunch of money and they are absolutely miserable people. Miserable people. Because I know one that I built a house for, he didn't have cash. He was into SunTrust for over $2 million and another million for his office or his office and his home. He's got to come up with $20,000 a month to break even. That will put you under pressure. And yet, it's funny how you meet different people. Had one guy, his was all cash. And it was like, my goodness. He spent over a million dollars on a house, decorating it, land and everything. And it was just a drop in the bucket. That man was the easiest man to work for because he had nothing to prove. He'll lose more money than all the doctors in Black Diamond will make next year. And he was just very comfortable with himself because he had nothing to prove to anybody. And yet, sometimes we think that, well... They're driving this and they're, driving, they're living in a house like that. Well, we need to have that. The lust of the eyes. And it all has a source of the lust of the flesh. And then we're too proud to admit it. The pride of life. No, at admission, our trunk is full of the wrong stuff. Empty it out. Let us run with endurance. Notice he didn't say strength and he didn't say speed. He said endurance. The Christian life is not a sprint. It is stamina, spiritual stamina that will carry you over a long period of time. And the intent is just to get you across the finish line. And so many, well, I haven't read my Bible in a month, so I'm going to read 42 chapters today. Okay, it doesn't work like that. Or if you're one of those that you don't have a green thumb and all your plants are dying and you can't go out there and dump 55-gallon drums of water, well, this will make up for the last 30 days that I didn't water them. No, it doesn't work that way. It's consistency. That drag race and I went to Sunshine Speedway, the ET is elapsed time. You handicap yourself, you choose a time, put it on your windshield, no, white shoe polish, and then you get your light to take off, handicapped against what the other guy's time was. Well, you think, well, why don't you just put a slow time there and then run really fast? Well, if you break the time you wrote on your windshield by more than a tenth of a second, you disqualify yourself. So then they put people, well, it's consistency. If you can pick a time, a realistic goal, and then you can run on it and run on it and run on it, nobody can beat you. I had in eight races with that roadrunner, two for qualifying, four for B division, and two for top eliminator. And those eight races, my slowest time to my fastest time was 22 hundredths of a second apart. That's why nobody could touch me. Class A, A was a 442. Dodge Charger, Class C was a 327 Camaro, and so we had each won our division. I was in the 14 second bracket with my Roadrunner. We flipped a coin to who would bypass. I won the coin toss, so I ran a solo run. Charger beat Camaro, and then I had to run Charger. Well, he'd been what we call sandbagging. You pick in a low, a slow time, 
you scream off the line and before you get to the end, making sure you're ahead of your competition, you kick it up into neutral and just coast across the finish line. Well, he knew that he would have disqualified himself to catch me since I had a 14-second time bracket. They let me go fast enough. He would have disqualified himself to try to catch me, and that's why I beat him and got top eliminator as well. But the key to all of that is consistency, consistency, consistency. And that's what God is looking for in us. He doesn't want you one minute cutting a soldier's ear off with a, with a sword, and then the next minute you're standing by a campfire and, and to not be associated with a follower of Jesus, be afraid of what a little girl will say in town. And that our good friend Peter. And yet, the Lord brought him around. Peter came around. But see, it's, it's a high mountaintop one day and in the valley the next. Serving the Lord faithfully one month and the next month we can't find you. And no one's in church. He wants consistency. Consistency. See, I'm more like Peter. I'm one of those that I'm all over the place. And that's why I love my wife so much. She's right here. Right here. Oh, sure, I might be up here on a mission trip walking through the jungles of Honduras and then I'm just all, you know, study hard, all that, and then, and then she's right here. Right here. Thank you, God. That's what He wants us to be. Dependable. Consistent. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that verse. There is a whole message in that. The author and finisher of our faith. If I put that verse matched with Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Okay, now wait. That means, take the next verse, for which of you, including Luke 14, intending to build a tower, did not sit down and first count the cost, whether he had enough to finish it, lest he did lay the foundation, was not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, this is the man that began to build and wasn't able to finish. So that means, if we back up, Jesus is the one who has begun a good work in you. You know, he wouldn't have begun that work if he didn't think he was going to finish it. Thank you, God. That means, we pull that back. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That means that he would come to someone and he, can you imagine Jesus talking to the Father and he said, Father, okay, what about this one? And he's going, yeah, okay, I can see that when he's a teenager, he's not going to be real faithful, but then he's finally, he's going to get saved and he's going to, I'm going to count the cost, Father. And it's like, and then he's, he's going to give his heart and life to me and then it's going to be fine. He's going to say, yeah, I want this one. I want this one. Okay, I counted the cost and I'm going to begin a good work and I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. And then he considered, you know, Steve, well, no, let's go to Jessica. And then he, no. Then he said, oh, well, Steve and Jessica, in his foreknowledge, he knew everything ahead of time. And he said, yes, they're going to get saved. They're going to meet each other. They're going to get married. It's going to get a little rocky there for a while. But then they're going to come back and they're going to get it dedicated. Then they're going to start a ministry of helping. Yes, Lord, I want these two too. Yes, Father, I want them. I want them. He who's begun a good work, he wouldn't have started your relationship if he didn't intend to finish it. And He counted the cost and He counted you worthy. Be encouraged today. I've said it before, if the devil could take you out, he already would have. He already would have. And no, he's a deceiver. He makes you think that you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not dedicated enough. 
You know, when you run an endurance race, it's a mental challenge as much as it is physical. You're running. In fact, you know, my, my brother ran a marathon. And he said, oh, I'm telling you, your, your mind starts playing tricks on you. Does it sound familiar? You're running, and boy, when you first start, you know, you're full of adrenaline. When I ran that half over there, we ran around the Daytona Speedway, under the tunnel, and then out to the beach and back. And that was the 13 miles. And you're running, you're waving at the officers that are stopping traffic at the, you know, at the intersection when you're first starting. You're ready to go, you're pumped, you've prepared, you've done everything. And then you start feeling the toll. Then things begin to hurt. And then you start getting tired. And then the pain increases. And then your mind starts talking to you. What are you trying to prove? Who do you think you are? You're just doing this so that you can be full of pride and tell people about this. And about the time you get encouraged and think, no, I can do this, then an 85-year-old man with arthritis comes by you and just leaves you standing. And you go, what the heck is that all about? I thought I was in good shape. He just wasted me. And it's like, see you later. And it's a mental game. Well, isn't the renewing of the mind the key to the Christian success? And that is where Satan, the battle really is in the mind. Satan will throw out bait and see if you'll take it. He'll see if you'll take it. You know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, I kind of see it as, I don't think Jesus was shaking his finger. Get thee behind me. I don't think he was doing that. I think he came and said, He'd been fasting for 40 days and nights. And you're going to try to tempt him? That's a dumb idea. And yet, what did he do? First test, he's not eaten for 40 days. Notice he said, if you're the Son of God, then turn these stones to bread. He went after food and his hunger. And see if he'd take door number one. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, he had to up his game a little bit. He said, okay, okay. Took him to a high pinnacle and said, cast yourself down. Even the Scripture says that He'll protect you lest you dash your foot against a stone. So now he went into personal physical safety. And he said, don't tempt the Lord. Don't tempt Him. Door number two. Then he got what he was always after. He said, if you'll bow down and worship Me, I'll give you all this. What Jesus, obviously He would have known, we might not have, but taking the bread, you would have just sold your soul. And yet that, that's how He deals with us. He tempts us with something that may seem so small. The question is, is will you compromise? That's the question. It's not what's being offered. It's the decision to whether you will surrender your spiritual walk or not. They say a man's integrity is what he does when, he, when he's by himself and nobody's watching. Oh, there's been times in our life, I can think back, you know why I don't have Showtime and HBO and so forth? Because I'd be sitting there going, they shouldn't have stuff like that on TV. Look, they really should. Can you believe that? Yeah, right, okay. And it's like, okay, what do we do when no one's watching? Lord, what baggage do we have? What's in the trunk that we'll say, oh Lord, look at this. I'm doing so great. The parable of the sower. 
you know, and it's like, oh, look at all this. And the Lord is saying, yeah, but what about that little plot of land over there that you've got some weeds in? We need to talk about. Oh, but Lord, we'll talk about that later. What about over here? Look how good I'm doing. Help us, Lord Jesus. Clean out the trunk. Clean out the trunk. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. When you're running a race of any kind, you've got to set your mind on something that makes it worth it for you to keep going. And keep going. That's why it's so important to have encouragers. Thank God for that 30-year-old that came by me and encouraged me. He didn't have to. He could have passed me and said, well, you did well, old man. And kept going. Instead, no. He said, come on, I'll run with you. I'll run with you. Be an encourager to someone else. Jesus counted the cost and you were worth it. Because He said, who for the joy of what was set before Him. Jesus wasn't looking at the cross and all the pain and suffering He'd go through and thinking that that was going to be somehow joy. The joy that was set before Him was us. And for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. He said, Kenny is worth it. Kenny is worth it. I'll do it. Our biggest weight is guilt and shame of the past. Lay it aside. And the past could be yesterday. Lay it aside. If you've confessed it and asked God to forgive you that, then move on. You know, the sign of Christian maturity... The sign of Christian maturity is not whether you make a mistake or not. Everybody makes mistakes. It's recovery time. How fast you get up, brush yourself off and say, okay, Satan, that was a good left hook. I didn't see that coming. You won't do that again. You won't do that again. I'll see that coming and I'll prepare for that. Lay it aside. Therefore, Romans 8, therefore now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you've been forgiven, then you forgive yourself and move on. Move on. Be encouraged. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, Proverbs says. Now you think, well, if he's a righteous man, why is he falling all the time? It's not the falling. It's the rising again. I heard of a pastor, they had a story, a pastor's preaching, and he said, how many people have never been down? And he saw an older gentleman in the back kind of raise his hand humbly and he thought, he didn't hear my question. So he just kind of ignored him. And when the service was over, he went back and he found the man and he said, Sir, I asked the question, have you never been down? And you raised your hand? Are you honestly going to tell me and you're 85 years old, you've never been down? He said, no sir, I was either up or getting up. Yes, that's right. Either up or getting up. Thank you, God. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. Oh, now wait a minute. You can't just clean out the trunk. Matthew tells us that even if a demon is cast out of someone and he goes and finds rest and he can't find any and he comes back to the home and he finds it swept and garnished and empty. There's the key. And then he goes to get seven spirits more worse than himself and comes back. And the latter state of the man is worse than the first state. You can't just get rid of the junk in the trunk without filling it up with holy things and things that God wants you to do. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on 
tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. Remember the Scripture says, if you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. That verse will wake you up. Forgiveness, that's the biggest thing. Somebody, well, I was offended. Our host... Generation now, see, they can turn on the TV, somebody's offended by something else. Come on, wake up, grow up, move on. I saw a book one time, I didn't even have to read the book, I love the title. It says, shut up, quit whining, and get alive. That title said everything. Didn't even have to read the book. Even as Christ has forgiven you, but above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Help us. Galatians 3.27, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Oh, what I do? We're going to win this race together. Together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Pastor Steve. Give a big hand clap of appreciation for Pastor Kenny bringing the word today. So listen, we got about 50 seconds left, so I think I'm going to preach and use this new pulpit. I did it. I did it. <laughs> he did do it. He did do it. That's awesome. But guys, can I just say from, from Jessica and myself and the rest of the pastoral team, thank you so much for loving on us today. And thank you so much for making us feel special. Thank you for coming out to church and being a part of this today. And, uh, and thank you, Pastor Kenny, for that incredible word. It, it went amazing word. That word about maybe a quarter of it flows right into what I'm preaching in part three next week. So that was, that was all God. It was amazing. So thank you so much for that. I want to pray over you guys and then God bless you. I hope you have a, have a great week this week. Remember we have small groups uh, this Wednesday night still. So you, if you have not come to a small group yet, it's okay. You can still come be a part. Uh, just show up. We'll get you placed in a group and, and uh, you can get connected. All right. We also have uh, next Sunday, we're going to come, we're going to, move into part three of too much junk in the trunk and we're going to be talking about ditching anxiety and loading up our trunk with joy all right so we're going to be talking about that next week so let me pray over you and and again thank you so much for blessing us lord we just uh we just pray today in the mighty name of jesus i thank you father for your anointing that's on this place i thank you lord for your presence that's in this house i thank you father that you don't leave us how you found us i thank you father that you don't only just visit us in the church building but Lord, you go with us, that you're in our homes, you're in our vehicles, you're in our life. Lord, I pray today that we would be able to take this word that we've heard from Pastor Kenny and apply it to our life, Lord. That this week we would be able to just chew on that and think about that and find areas of our life that we need to clean out our trunks, Lord. Areas of our life where we need to just get rid of some garbage, Father. And then I pray, Lord, that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give us exactly what we need uh, to move into the next season. Because, Father, I think I can speak for everybody in this room. We are tired of this season. We're tired of 2020 and all that it's brought. We're tired of disunity. We're tired of sickness. We're tired of death. We're tired of destruction. 
Father, we're claiming and believing that you're ready to move us into a new season. We know, Lord, that in order to do that, we have to first repent in our own lives and then repent as families and then repent as church bodies and then repent as communities and then repent as a country. And Father, I just I started off right now by repenting in my own life, Lord. If there be any way, uh, Lord, that is anything that is between you and me, Lord, then I repent of it today and I ask that you cleanse me of it. And then, Father, I speak for our church body, Lord, that if there be anything that's between us and you, Lord, that you would cleanse it out, that you would remove it, and that you would make us right with you in your eyes. And then, Father, begin to speak to us and direct us and pour on us what you want for us to move into this next season. We declare it, we believe it, and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day, and thank you so much.